Good morning, church. I am reading Matthew chapter 13 from verses 1 to 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, their case, the prophecy of Isaiah, is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For these people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirty. This is the word of the Lord. Might need a bow. Oh, there we go. Thank you. Not used one of these before. I'm just worried that it'll come out or something. Um, before I start, I just wanted to say I've been here for a bit over a year, and I wanted to thank you for your welcome and your ongoing kindness and prayers. Really appreciated. So thank you. 
Um, and it's a privilege to come and bring God's word to you this morning. So I also wanted to pray as we begin. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for your kindness to us. Father, we thank you for your countless blessings and we thank you for your word. I pray this morning, Father, that you'd give us receptive hearts to hear and to understand your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. He knows so much about Jesus. I used to sing to God with him as he was by my side in church. He encouraged me in my faith, in my walk with the Lord. And uh, he prayed for me when I was struggling. Humanly speaking, I might not be a Christian without him. But he's no longer walking with the Lord. He says, you don't need a religion to, to get to God. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've heard a story like that. More likely it's a story that you can tell uh, a brother, a sister, a mother, a father in the faith turn their back on Jesus, denying the Lord who bought them. A person that you love, you care for, you, you trust. Well, why? What changed their mind? If you ask them, they might say, it's not compatible with modern science. It's uh, so many contradictions in the Bible anyway. Or, who's to say your religion's the right one? That's just arrogant. Or as someone said to me recently, I know a scam when I see one. And Christianity is a scam. Or countless more reasons that they may give. I'm, I'm sure you can fill the gap with what you've heard. But where does that all leave you as a Christian? Are you the, the logically deficient one? Are you the bigot, the fool, the scam artist or the scammed? Even if you've not been convinced by what they've said to you, it can still be confusing, discouraging, disconcerting that someone that you care about, that's heard about Jesus, would still reject him. The Jesus that we see and know as Messiah, Sovereign Lord, King of love and grace, is rejected and looked upon as weak and foolish and even wicked. But how do we make sense of this like, seemingly random acceptance and rejection of Jesus as Lord? How do we make sense of it? And where do we go for answers to these questions? Well, how about we let the Lord himself teach us? In the passage before us, Jesus speaks directly to this question. If you've got your Bibles in front of you or it's on the screen, you'll see they might be split into three sections. And this morning we're just going to be going through those one by one. Um, And I even like the headings they put in my Bible. So we'll be looking firstly, the parable, verses 1 to 9. The parable's purpose, verses 10 to 17. And the parable explained, verses 18 to 23. And the first point will be the the shorter one for the clock watchers. So we'll begin with the parable, verses 1 to 9. But let's set the scene. When When you look down at the first few verses, you'll see that Jesus has been teaching in a house. And, uh... You know, someone in the village might have opened their home to Jesus while it was hot in the heat of the day. Um, but now he leaves the, the home and he heads down to the shore where maybe he's able to teach more people. And the crowds do get bigger and bigger and he begins to sit in a boat so that he can see more people on the hillside. And as he taught, he taught them in parables. That is, he taught them in stories. Now, I'm going to reread the story for us. But as I do, I want to prepare you. You see, many of us are very, very familiar with the story, aren't we? You've heard it many, many times before. If you have, 
then try as best as you can to put that prior knowledge to the side. Put yourself on the hillside, as it were, with Jesus' first audience. And as I retell it, ask yourself this question, what do you notice about the story? What springs out to you? What do you notice about the story as a whole? So let me read from verse 3. A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let them hear. Now, what do you notice about the story? What do you notice about the story as a whole? It's not a long story. It's just over a hundred words. If you're this way inclined, you might have noticed, you might have been picking out the verbs, the exciting verbs, devoured, sprang up, choked, withered, scorched. But how about this? Did you notice that the story is completely unclear? It's completely unclear. It's about seeds and sowing and thorns and sun and grain and agricultural truths. And that would all be very well if the person they'd come to hear was an esteemed farmer. But that's not who Jesus is. That's not even who they might think he is. Why has the crowd followed him down to the shore? Or they might call him a rabbi, a religious teacher, a miracle worker, or a disciple maker, a holy man. But whoever they thought he was, it wasn't a sower or a seed specialist or a soil scientist. They hadn't come to hear um, agricultural insights, but spiritual ones. Now, we'll come to the rest of the passage in a moment, but let me tell you this for now. Those people listening to Jesus on the hillside, this is all they hear. An obscure story about some seeds. They might know that there's something deeper underneath it, something behind it, some spiritual truth to be cleaned, yet they have no way of working it out. Jesus' story is unclear. How frustrating, perhaps, to come all this way to hear this famous teacher. You can imagine the journey on the way there. I wonder what he'll teach us. Some people say he's the promised king. What do you think he'll say? Maybe he'll teach us a a new way to get to God. Maybe he'll teach us a new way to fast and pray. Maybe he'll teach us about his coming kingdom, about how he's going to overthrow the Romans. They come all that way to hear quite an obvious truth about plant growth. And to be left at that. What on earth was that? Was that meant to be something deep and spiritual? Did you get it? I didn't didn't get it. The story is unclear. The first thing we see is that Jesus' parable is unclear. And that's why, as we come to verses 10 to 17, that's why Jesus' disciples ask him the following question. Verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Why, Jesus? Why parables? They're not clear. What, what are you really trying to say? No one understood what you, what you were saying. I mean, we didn't even understand. As I said earlier, those on the hillside hear no more. But from first, verse 11 to the end of the passage, Jesus is, is, is speaking exclusively to his disciples. The crowds are out of earshot. So he answers them in verse 11. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. 
For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Now, we've seen, haven't we, over the time we've spent in in Matthew, we've seen the wonderful things that Jesus has done. The things that show us who Jesus really is. We've seen his healings, his miracles, his authoritative teaching. We've seen the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. All of which indicates that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the promised one of the Old Testament. He's the one worthy to give up everything to follow. He's the King. He's the Saviour. He's God come in the flesh. And how have people responded to him? Some people have given up everything to follow him. Others have not. Some people have put their trust in him to heal and to save. Others have hated his healings and miracles. Some accept him as Messiah. Others reject him. What does all that have to do with our passage, though? And the disciples question, why using parables? You see, Jesus says here that to you, that is to to, to the disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them on the hillside, it has not been given. To the one who has, more will be given. That is to the one who's accepted Jesus as the Messiah, the one who follows him, who trusts him, who worships him. More understanding will be given. The one who has not, i.e. the one who's not trusted him, even the little understanding that they have will be taken away from them. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. You know, I'm sure you've all been in a situation where you're having a conversation with someone, an argument, and you are about to say something that is just conclusive. You've made your point clear. This should settle the debate. But as you say it, as the truth comes from your mouth, you can just see their eyes glaze over. And it's as though they've put cotton wool in their ears. Because whatever you say, it's not heard. It doesn't matter whether you're right or wrong. That's what Jesus says about those of his, of his day who saw the healing in the synagogue. They saw a man whose hand was withered and, and, and weak. And Jesus spoke, stretch out your hand. And they saw sinews strengthen, flesh reform. But their eyes glazed over, seeing they did not see. Nate showed us last week how Jesus healed a man with a demon. And yet the Pharisees used it to say that Jesus himself was the prince of demons. Seeing they did not see. The people on the hillside aren't there because they've laid their lives down before King Jesus. They're there. They've seen wonderful things that Jesus has done. They've they've heard ways in which he's fulfilled prophetic promises. But for them, the jury is still out. Like those last week who said, Teacher, we, we, we wish to see a sign from you. Here they are coming to teacher Jesus. And they, they don't know yet if he's the Messiah. But you see, there's an arrogant agnosticism. There's a prideful uncertainty. And these people have it. They've seen miracles. They've seen prophetic fulfillment. But, but oh, let, let's keep listening. You, know, you mustn't make up your mind too quickly. Because you might think he's the Messiah now, but you, you never know. You mustn't get caught up in these things. There may be someone here this morning for whom that's true. You've seen enough from Jesus to know 
who he is, that he's God come in the flesh, and yet you claim that the jury's still out. Oh, I'm not going to worship him until I'm 100% sure. You've seen enough to know. You've heard enough to know. And you haven't understood. And Jesus says to those in that camp, and this is important, he says, oh, you don't know yet, really? After all you've seen? After all I've done? Okay, well now I'll hide my truth from you. That is why Jesus is speaking in parables, in unclear stories. They're meant to be unclear. They're deliberately unclear. They're not meant to be understood by those who are rejecting him. You see, parables, what are they? What do you think of when you think of parables? Some see them as, as children's stories, a way of making truth simple. But that's not what Jesus says. Some see them as puzzles or riddles. If you, if you flip them the right way, if you work them out, then that, that's what they're there for. They're there to be worked out, to be understood. But that's not what Jesus says. Parables are not puzzles, they're not bedtime stories, they're not riddles. But they're a safe a safe that you'd find in a bank vault. A parable is a safe, and, and the point of a safe is that you can't get in. The truth is inside and inaccessible. And it's been obscured from them because they've rejected Jesus. As he said earlier, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Hidden. It's amazing, isn't it? Does it surprise you that we have a God like that? that would hide things from people. But our God is a great God who won't be mocked. And to those who inspect him and study him as if, they were un- as if he were under their scrutiny, he may say, enough, and hide himself from them. Jesus uses parables to hide his truth from those who are rejecting him. So now he recounts another story, another time in the history of Israel when the people were given over to darkness and to a lack of understanding and deafness and blindness. Why? Well, in Isaiah's day, it was because they'd given themselves over to worshipping idols. They'd listened to dead, mute, wooden images rather than to the living God that Isaiah saw in the temple. So verse 14, indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their ears, eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. They had desired injustice and idol worship. They had been unfaithful to their God. So they had been deaf to him, and deaf to his word, and closed their eyes, and he said, okay. He gave them over to it. He said to Isaiah, preach, preach in such a way that they will not listen to you. These people have rejected Jesus and he speaks in parables so that they will understand nothing. But that's not the end of the story because there were some who had truly seen and some who had truly heard. As Jesus continues to say to his disciples in verse 16, but blessed are your eyes for they see and, and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Think about all they'd seen. Think about the miracles, the healings, the power of a nature. They had believed. They'd heard the teaching, the fulfillment of prophecy, and they'd listened and trusted. 
They'd seen and heard things that the prophets would have loved to see in their own day. Imagine the joy of Jeremiah to see the one who would write the law on our hearts. The joy of Ezekiel to see the one who would take away our hearts of stone and give us a heart of flesh. The joy of Isaiah to see the servant who would suffer to bring us life. Yet they never did see those things. They longed for it, but they never saw it. Even John the Baptist was locked in prison while the days that he'd longed for took place outside the prison walls. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear and the dead are raised up. But even he did not hear and see these days. You disciples, Jesus says, you have seen, you have heard. Blessed are you that you live in these days. And it's true of us too, isn't it? We're not like the prophets looking forward. We look back on the days of Jesus. These days have come and we live in the blessing of them. Sins forgiven, indwelt by the Spirit, every blessing in Christ, new covenant inaugurated, hearts of flesh given. All of this has come. We're not anticipating any of it. How would those prophets love to live in our days, the days looking back on the coming of Jesus? Blessed are we who've seen Jesus. And yes, to see him is a blessing. It's a gift. It's a gift to us as much as it's been hidden from them. And yet all of that makes it even more tragic that the crowds have missed it. Those days were right before their eyes and they said, I'm not sure. And that indecision, that willful uncertainty, that arrogant agnosticism, that ultimate rejection is why Jesus is speaking in parables. They saw glorious things and responded in unbelief. So he hides his truth from them. So where does that leave us? Church, don't be surprised by the world's rejection of Jesus as if it was something strange. Don't be discouraged or confused. Jesus is not rejected because of any lack on his part. Don't see the rejection of him as cause for doubt in his sovereignty, his divinity, his kingship. Listen, if if Jesus is not clear to those who are rejecting him, it's not accidental. Jesus is not mocked. He does not consider it a light thing that people dismiss him. And if he chooses, he will hide himself from those who have made their choice as an act of judgment. Now, like Jesus has done in this passage, I've been speaking mainly to disciples of him this morning. But a a word to those here who, who may not yet see Jesus for who he truly is. Jesus, the Son of God, says that his identity and truth may be being hidden from you. Just think for a moment that you may go through life and meet God and at the end he may say to you, you had a chance to know me, but you rejected me. So I hid myself from you for the rest of your days. I hope that troubles you. If it does, here's the answer. Pray. Pray and plead with God to reveal himself to you. Pray that you would know who Jesus truly is. When you see him, everything else pales in comparison to his glory and grace. Because the God who hides himself from those who reject him is also the king who suffered and died 
in love to bring life and forgiveness and peace and light to those who he knows and loves. Pray that this God would reveal himself to you. And you can pray in confidence because he loves to reveal himself. Now, as we said, parables aren't a puzzle to be worked at or a riddle to be worked on. They're safe to be locked. But in this last section, Jesus gives his disciples the key. He explains the parable in verses 18 to 23. Here then, the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirty. So I just wanted to flesh out a little bit what each of those might look like, um, starting with the path. And of course it could look a thousand different ways, but you think the person who comes to church, comes to church with a friend, and they've been looking forward to it, and they're intending on listening, and they listen to parts, and, and, and then given a moment more, it might have meant something to them. But then, uh, what am I doing this afternoon? Um, oh, I wonder what my friend's thinking about all this. That's, a, that's an interesting tent up there. I wonder how long it's, how long it's been there. Oh, what's the score? Someone's playing this afternoon. Whatever it is, it's there. The seed is there. It's in the heart. And then it's gone. Snatched away by a million and one things. Snatched by one evil person who uses a million and one things to take the seed away from the heart before it has time to sprout and to root and grow. What about the rocks? The rocks might be rarer in our land than they have been. But some are laughed at and mocked. Some may return home after finally putting their trust in Jesus and going t- telling their mother and father and, and their mother and father might go silent and they know that something's wrong and, and then later at dinner they might be told in this family we don't worship Jesus. Or they might be told your baptism. If you get baptised with this Jesus of yours we'll consider that your burial. You'll, be, you'll, you'll not be in our family anymore. And for them not yet understanding in their hearts that um, what good is it to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul, they might yield to that pressure and abandon the faith. The thorns, what might the thorns look like? Well, they believe, they love the gospel, they love Jesus, they come to church, they sing their heart out, they pray. But then all the ordinary things come in. Distractions creep into prayer time. Urgent emails, urgent messages, urgent Sunday lions, urgent kids practice on a Sunday, kids football practice, urgent anything, except urgent attention to their own heart, which no longer prizes Christ above everything else. It's almost like without a big decision, Christ has become a small thing amid a sea of distraction. The place that he had in their heart is swamped by the ordinary cares of the world. Now we may look at those other soils 
And we may think, my heart's a bit like that. We may be like the thorns or the rocks or the path. We may find the world alluring, persecution heavy, or Satan deceiving. And if we are, church, return. Return to the word. Return to Christ. If the world allures, hold fast to him. If persecution comes, stand strong in him. However, Jesus has told his disciples that we are the blessed ones. We're the little children who see and hear and understand and believe. We trust Jesus. Our hearts have received him. We're the good soil. And though the world is alluring, though communities may pressure, though Satan may deceive and distract, by God's grace, we'll hold fast. And we grow and we are abundantly fruitful. But now the parable is clear. The soils are the heart posture. It shows us it's the state of the heart to receive the word which leads to the rejection of Jesus. The parables are safe. Locked to those on the hillside, but to us, Jesus has given the key. So as we close, I want to ask the question, why is Jesus telling his disciples about the response of those who do not believe? Why is Jesus telling the good soil about the bad soil? Well, three, three quick things to consider. Firstly, and similarly to what I've said before, he wants us to understand and take confidence as we said at the, at the beginning, the reasons that you may have heard for why your friends and family members and colleagues don't trust Jesus will be many. There'll be many reasons they'll give you. And I've not listed them all because, you know, you'll know what they've said. But in light of all of those reasons, Jesus says it's not, it's not that. It's the condition of the heart. He doesn't betray any lack on his part. It doesn't mean he's not great enough to save or reveal himself. Now, although it may be desperately sad, it's the condition of the heart that has led to the rejection and that Jesus may have then hidden himself from them. So secondly, how should we respond? We should pray. Who made you good soil? Who made your heart receptive to hear the gospel? The one who opened your heart can do so with any. There are no hearts so hard that the Spirit of God can't soften them. We don't know the beginning of the end, from the end. Someone who may have appeared deaf to the gospel may by God's grace hear again and believe. God may be gracious and open their heart. And we also know that he does this for his glory to be seen as majestically as he is. So we pray that he reveals himself. And lastly, we be thankful, we rejoice God has blessed us to know Jesus and reveal, he's revealed hidden things to us. Praise God that he's revealed himself to us. Praise God that he's made our hearts receptive to receive him and through him to receive every blessing in Christ. We've been given believing grace, grace to believe him. So we thank him. We thank him. And let me be the first to thank him now as we pray together. Father, Lord of heaven and earth, we thank you that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and that you've revealed them to little children like us. Humble us, Father, and we praise you and we thank you that you have given us grace in showing us yourself in your Son.
In his name we pray.